Well, good morning once again. It is a joy and privilege to serve God's word to you this morning. Again, I bring you greetings from Crossroads Church of Dubai. Our church regularly pray for this church, for your pastor, Pastor Josh, and all of the elders of Rock Evangelical Church in our corporate prayer. And it's always, I, I have really high respects for your pastor. Uh, he, his love and devotion to God and his word had placed this church in a, such a good health. Indeed, the, the centrality of the gospel and his word is always visible in this corporate gathering. Speaking of God's word, why don't we open God's word this morning in Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. I will be reading from verses 1 through 8. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Salah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your words on your beds and be silent. Salah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Live up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'd like to invite you to once again take this time to pray to our Father. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be honoring, glorifying to you, O our Redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm chapter 4 is very similar to Psalm chapter 3. Both were penned by David. Both were written during times of troubled, uh, troubled times. And both talked about how his enemies were hostile with him. That's why there were several speculations that had been written regarding the context of this passage. Some believe that Psalm 3 and 4 were written on the same occasion when David was fleeing away from Absalom, his son, and was in a cave hiding with some of his loyal soldiers. Well, some were led to believe that it was written at this, that time that David was facing intense persecution from King Saul, and he departed and hid himself in the wilderness. Although we do not know the specific circumstances surrounding this psalm, we do know that David wrote it during a time of intense trial or trouble. We notice this in the way he wrote the superscription or the, the, the title written on top of verse 1 that it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. The superscription tells us of the mood of the psalm. 
This is that the song should be played with stringed instruments and not by trumpets or with tambourines that are often used with, for festive occasions. Because the tone of this psalm is more a lament, a cry to God, and the instrumentation should be appropriate to the message. Thus, he mentions this. Psalm 4 is a story of a man that though he was in the midst of great trouble and despair, found his security, joy, hope, and satisfaction in the Lord. Does trouble and despair describe your situation this morning? Maybe you are overwhelmed with too much cares and concerns surrounding you right now that are somehow losing your joy, your hope, and your peace. If this is true, this psalm is for us. Or maybe you're not currently facing any trouble or despair. God has blessed you with a season of peace and prosperity, and we praise God for that. This psalm is still good for us to learn in order to prepare us when trials and sufferings come. It is my prayer that as we study, dig into this psalm, we would learn to express quiet trust in the Lord amidst troubling circumstances. We have divided this passage into three headings. Number one. David ran, verses 1 to 2. Number 2, David reflected, verses 3 to 6. And number 3, David rested, verses 7 to 8. David ran, David reflected, and David rested. Number 1, David ran. Let's look at verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. At first glance, it seems that David is a bit disrespectful and demanding God to answer him back. Uh, Look at the imperatives that he has thrown here. Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. And then in verse 2, twice he mentioned how long. How long? But David's bold prayer was expressed not out of disrespect, but out of desperation. With this passionate plea, you can sense his anxiety and distress in this tone. He's expressing that depth of the trouble he is experiencing. And I think it's just fitting that he would cry out to the Lord in this manner. Why? Well, we do not know the reasons surrounding his prayer or or what circumstances he's into. But somehow verse 2 gives us a glimpse of what he is going through. It reads, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Salah. The men that David mentions here are no ordinary men or citizens of Israel. These are men of prominence. Israelites who are probably in leadership and authority positions. These are not your ordinary delinquents. 
These men have power and authority. Thus, his anxiety is there and fear. They despised David and were opposing his kingship. That's why they were condemning, slandering, shaming him, destroying his name, and treated him as if he was not their king. That is why in verse 1, David desires relief from this distress. He is praying that God would put them to silence. He appeals to God of his righteousness. He prays that God would vindicate his cause and to be the protector of his right. David prays to the Lord with confidence because he remembers God's past faithfulness to him. Again, look at verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Given in the past tense. A good thing to notice here, in the midst of anxieties and circumstances, David ran to God. He ran to God when he was confronted by present circumstances because he knew God faithfully several times delivered him from all the past troubles that he has gone through. When he was a young shepherd boy, God protected and saved him from from bears and lions and wolves. He also protected him and strengthened him when he faced Goliath. God also protected him when, when Saul, the king Saul, was pursuing him. So he ran to God in prayer. Remember, David is the king of Israel. He could have easily ran towards his army and order, ordered a mass execution of all of his enemies. He could easily do that. Or he could have subtly finished the job by hiring mercenaries to take out his enemies. But no. In times of despair and difficulties, he ran to God for deliverance. He ran to God for vindication. He did not place justice in his own hands, but laid it down at the feet of the righteous judge. Friends, when you are confronted with difficulties and troubles, where does your heart run to? Do you run to God or do you run from God? Here's the truth. When we are in pain or in suffering, we are always tempted to run away from God and run to other source of deliverances and saviors. Friends, if you are in a difficult circumstances right now and it seems that there is no other options, don't run from God. Run to him. In times of trouble, David ran immediately to God. But this is not the only thing that David do. He also, which is interestingly, rebuked, rebuked the men who were running away from God. He rebuked them. The men that he mentioned in verse 2, who were slandering him, speaking lies against him. Since David was God's anointed king to represent his people... To rebel against King David was to rebel against God. 
These men opposed David and his kingship. So David rebuked them from running from God, running away from his word, running away from his will. Friends, not only are we to run to God in times of despair and difficulties, but we are also called to run after brothers and sisters who are running away from God's will, who are running away from God's word. At Crossroads, when, we, when you become a member in our church, we make promises to each other. We make promises to God. We make promises to the local church. We make promises to ourselves. We regularly remind each other of this promise that we had made towards one another. Allow me to read a section of our church covenant that probably is similar to your church covenant. I read, We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. With humility and gentleness, we will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other, admonishing one another when necessary. Friends, we are our brothers and sisters keepers. We are to exhibit brotherly and sisterly love to them, especially the members of this church. Friends, are there brothers and sisters amongst you who are running away from God? Have you run after them? Pursued them with humility and love? Or have we forgotten about them? Given up on them? Neglected them? Or maybe you tried pursuing them, but they continue to harden their hearts, kept on sinning, kept on running from God, and you tried your best and still Nothing. Friends, do not keep this situation between you and this brother and, or sister. Matthew chapter 18 instructs us that if we have not, if this person that we have confronted do not, have not listened to us or have not listened to our warning, it's time to bring along other brothers and sisters as witness. Friends, don't you think it's time to tell your elders about this brother or sister who is run away, running away from God. Elders are God's gifts to the church. To feed them, to care for them, to love them. Give this opportunity to your elders, this type of service, by informing them. Friends, if we are not running after them, could it be that we are running with them? Don't think that this is betrayal of trust or friendship. Because it's not. We are called to expose sin to the light. This is the most loving way to care for a brother or sister who is in sin. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 to 14 tells us, Walk as children of light. 
for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. In the midst of trouble, David did not run from God. He ran to him. Another observation that we notice about David in the midst of difficulties is that he reflected. That's number two. David reflected. David reflected on himself and on God. He reflected on his identity on God. Uh, Look at verse three. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David refers to this as a warning to his enemies that the Lord's favor was on him and would answer his prayers to defend him. So David, in a way, is saying to his enemies, this is a useless effort that you are doing. Uh, So if you are to go against me, you are going against God. But more than a warning, this is also a reminder to himself of who he is in the Lord. That the reason why he can confidently go to God, run to God with bold requests, is because that it was God who set him apart. It was God who anointed him. It was God who chose him. It was God who chose his tribe From all the tribes of Israel, it was God who chose his family. Out of the eight sons of Jesse, God chose him. This young shepherd boy was chosen by God to be the king and shepherd of his flock and his nation, Israel. He is God's man. God chose him, gave special attention to him, sets his affections towards him. It was God who said that David was a man after his own heart. In verse 3, David himself mentioned uh, himself as the godly. The godly. Now, David said this not because he took pride in all the good things that he has done or accomplished. No. But this is more, more of another term that means faithful one. Or it refers to those who have genuinely laid hold of God's steadfast love. Friends, in times of trouble, David needs to constantly remind himself of his identity in the Lord. Constantly. As Christians, we too must all the more remind ourselves who we are in Christ. And to do that, we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. That Christ came down to this world, lived a sinless life that none of us could, and died on that cross that all of us deserve. Jesus redeemed us from our sins, and whoever believes in him and his finished work on the cross shall be forgiven, shall be saved, shall become a children of God. He or she is no longer a child of darkness, but now a child of light. We are no longer enemies to God, but friends, that we are not rejected, but accepted. We are now a new creation with new purpose. 
we are also saved by God to God's community, the church. Friends, we must constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. We must constantly remind ourselves of who Christ is. Because when we are overwhelmed with fear or doubt because of the underlying problems we are facing, we can easily forget God and we can easily forget our identity in Christ. Pastor and best-selling author on Christian living, Paul David Tripp, calls this identity amnesia because we easily forget. It is because of the weight of the problem that we face, we can easily forget that we are children of God. Friends, where do you look for for your identity? Friends, you will never find your identity by looking within you. Or can it be found on the things of this world? Our identity should not be in the clothes or brand of clothes that we wear. Or our identity should not be found in our marriages. Not in our good health. Not in the friends that we hang out with. Not in our careers. It's not defined on how much money that we earn, that we save, that we have sent home to loved ones back in our home country, or how much money we have invested. Not on our education, not on our achievements and successes, or our skills and abilities, not even the authority that has been entrusted to us. Friends, our true identity is who God says we are. In his word. Let us be reminded that our identity is found in Christ. And should we should be living for Christ alone. That we have been bought by the blood of Christ. And we are no longer identified as people of this world. Uh, but people of the word. David, in times of trials, did not just reflect on his identity, but also examined his heart. Examined his heart. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Salah. The word anger here, in its original language, means to shake or tremble. Okay? It's either shaking with fear... Or shaking with anger. As David's problems escalate, David becomes irritated and angry. These men were slandering him, accusing him of wrong things, destroying his name, made him really angry. He is shaken with anger. And the temptation comes when he seeks to take justice in his own hands. His sins... When he takes revenge. That is the temptation, isn't it? When we're angry. That's why David counsels himself. David counsels us this morning. The slow down, ponder, and be silent. It is true that it is hard for us not to get angry when people betray us. 
It's not, it's really hard not to get angry when they fail us, cheat on us, lie to our face, gossip us. We became angry when we are hurt and when we're anxious. We always have a tendency to blame others or worse, take revenge. We even express our anger and our vengeance by being silent. The good old silent treatment. We make people feel that we are angry and retaliating by showing it in our actions with closed lips. But the way we commonly take revenge is through words. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 31, when Paul in verse 26 quotes Psalm 4. Verse 4, a direct quotation. And use it to warn the Ephesian church to be careful in expressing their anger in sin. He said in verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A disciple of Christ should not be consumed by anger, nor should he prolong it as it gives opportunity for the devil to do his, his work on us. Words are, are powerful. It has the power to heal. It has the power to motivate. It has the power to encourage. And if not careful, it also has the power to destroy. To destroy reputations. Destroy relationships and even start wars. Friends, are you angry right now? Are you angry because of the situation you're in right now? Are you starting to blame others or even seek revenge? Listen, friends. If you are angry with your current situation right now, and, and you are, you strongly believe that God is sovereign and ordains every circumstances happening in our lives, could it be that your anger really is towards God who ordains every detail of our lives? When we don't like the situation, the tendency is to say unhelpful, hurtful, and ungodly things. Out of the abundance of our mouth, our, our heart speaks, our mouth speaks. It is not easy to keep calm and quiet when we are going through problems because our hearts will continue to complain and be dissatisfied. We lose sleep. Because we're angry. That's why David counsels us in the second half of verse 2. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, be silent. This means that we should reflect on how the Lord has shown himself to be trustworthy in our situation. Friends, he is a good God. He knows what he is doing in your life. It is for your good and for his greater glory.
Friends, are you willing to trust God even though you do not understand? Not only did David reflect on his identity in the Lord and reflected on his heart in times of trials, but he also reflected on worshiping the Lord. Verse 5. Offering right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David refuses to give in to anger that he could that could lead him to take revenge. Instead, he remained in quiet trust in the Lord and continued to worship him. Uh, when I was still pastoring in the Philippines, uh, one of the things I love to do is visitations. You know, I, I visit members and first-time visitors who are sick, uh, those who are discouraged, provide counsel, and, and just be a brother to them. Uh, there was one time that I visited an elderly lady who I barely see attending our church. So uh, let's get a, we're going to call her Nanay Karing. Okay? Nanay means mother. Karing is a name. Okay, so Nanay Karing. So Nanay Karing, when I visited her, was very offended. She was very angry. Not to me, but by some people in the church. She said, I don't want to go back to church because it's our pastor. People here are not saying hi to me. And, and she gives a list of the things that people had offended her. I asked her if I did because I'm willing to ask forgiveness. And, and I and gave her counsel that it would be good in Matthew 18 to talk to this person. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want any trouble. I would rather stay here. Because it is really hard, Pastor, to sing or even listen to the sermon when you know the people are there. I, I, I might end up sinning and not singing in my heart, is what she said. I don't want to become even more bitter. And of course, after a series of counseling and encouraging, bringing her back to God's word and the gospel, she did, and there was reconciliation. But here's the point. Maybe some of us in, is in a similar situation. Uh, we can relate to Nanay Karing. Maybe we're saying, I'm, not going, I'm going through a lot of hardships, Pastor, right now, and it's hard to worship God. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't feel like singing. I don't like shaking hands. I don't feel like fellowshipping. I don't feel like corporately being with God's people on a Sunday morning. I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Friends, here's the point. If we choose to worship God only when things are good, then our worship is based on our circumstances. If we choose to worship God in the midst of trial, this is not hypocrisy. This is growing in maturity. Friends, do you know that worship becomes more honest, true, genuine, and sincere in times of suffering? Surrendering to the Lord? Because I am choosing to worship God, not because everything is fine. Or that worshiping God will make me happy and it could. No, we worship God because of God. And he deserves it. Tim Keller, pastor, former pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, defines worship as this. 
Worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to something or someone in a way that engages your entire being. When we worship God in difficulties, we become more focused on Him, His beauty, His majesty, His might, His grandeur, not on what we can get from Him. We, we make Him our ultimate value, our highest priority and not our current situation worship magnifies god and it minimizes us in our circumstances in times of difficulty this is what david was doing he was worshiping god praying singing writing does this describe you today for those of you saints who are trusting the lord In the midst of hardships, I urge you to press on. Keep worshiping the Lord who knows what he is doing in your life. He ran to God. He made reflections. And number three and last, David rested. He rested. Rested in God. We are not sure if David here is in a cave hiding from Absalom or in the wilderness running from King Saul But what we do know that he is hiding and there were some loyal soldiers who followed him. And when these men probably noticed that there were, there was no change in the circumstances or the situation that David is in, they started to doubt. They started to ask. And this is what David, this is why David says in verse six, who will show us some good? Backing up a little bit, there are many who say, who will show us some good? It's like they're asking, they were asking, what will happen to us, David? When will our situation get better? When will this suffering end? How long, oh David? They're starting to lose faith in God and in David's leadership. David did not answer their question. Nor did he defend himself. All he did was pray. He prayed a prayer of blessing and adoration. Again, look at verse 6. Lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord. That is the prayer request. This is metaphoric. David was requesting that the Lord would manifest his favor and love to them in this dark situation. This prayer is not new. It was also prayed in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. And and where we may see more of what the psalmist is trying to say here. Allow me to read this to you. It says in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. His prayer in the midst of this dark situation is not mainly desiring to eliminate the problem. Though he prayed for that and he must pray that. But he was desiring something greater. He was desiring the grace of God. He was desiring the peace of God. He was desiring the comfort of God. He was desiring the face and presence of God. Something that the world cannot provide. 
in the midst of a difficult situation, these are the things that David was praying. Here is the truth. When we are in a difficult situation, we only see the problems. So our thinking is always focused on the things that we think are the solutions to our problems. Does that make sense? If I could just pray, Father, if I could just pay this debt, everything will be okay. Oh, Lord, I pray if if this pain and suffering and illness, if I'm just healed, if I just have good relationship with my spouse, if my child is not rebellious, if, if, if I recover from this poverty, and, and the list goes on and on, I will be okay, I will be worshipful, I will have peace, I will have joy. Don't get me wrong, it's okay to pray these things, but sometimes because of our deep desire to solve the problem in a very specific way we want, we have a tendency to rely on those solutions and methodologies to the point that we will do everything we can to get it even to the point of sinning. We trust so much of the blessing than the blesser. Friends, let us be content with God. David desires God and was contented in him. That's why he found joy in God in the midst of his situation in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now, during David's time, people relied on the harvest of crops to eat and drink. When the harvest is good, the whole community is happy. It's because they have food, wine, and they all have good business and everything is going well. What David is saying here is that there is more happiness that the Lord has placed in his heart than the abundance of food and wine. Friends, true joy, happiness cannot be found on the things that we can buy in the UAE. You can never find it in marriage. You can never find it in children. The job, that, the dream job that you've been praying for, you will never find it in a mansion or a nice car or the tech that you always wanted. It's not on the many likes in FB or following followers in IG. All of these are bound to end. It will be exhausted. It will get lost, get old. It will rot. It will die. It will not last. Friends, do not expect temporal things to meet your eternal longings that only an eternal God can truly satisfy. In the midst of his trial, David safely Safety is in the Lord. If the Lord is the source of his security, then any, anywhere he goes, whether in the wilderness or in the cave, David is safe because he is in the Lord. Because David's heart was in such profound joy and peace, he could easily, he could easily fall asleep in the midst of a chaotic situation. And sometimes that's really hard, isn't it? When we go through trials and and problems and concerns, it's really hard to sleep. David 
Yes, David wants the problem uh, to be over. But because he trusts in a sovereign God who allows such suffering, he can lie on bed and sleep knowing that his good God will care for him. And it's also true for those who believe in God and trusted Christ. In the midst of troubles, David found true security, peace, joy, and rest in God alone. But pastor, how about me? How about me? I mean, I don't have the same faith as David. Uh, David's. I don't have that strong faith. I am nothing like David. So what do you got for me, preacher? Well, to be honest, my friends, we are very much like David. Like us, David is capable of committing grave sins, adultery, murder, lying, and rebelliousness against God. Psalm chapter 4 is not a story of a sinless man. It's not. It's a story about God's grace and what he can do to the hearts of those who seek and desire him. Although David is the anointed king set apart by God, he is only but a mere shadow of a much greater king. This greater king was also anointed and set apart by God for his purposes. He too was slandered, mocked, betrayed, hunted down, and was judged unjustly by the religious authorities. His people also doubted him and rejected him as their king. This greater king, friends, is Jesus. Jesus is the truly godly one. He is the truly faithful one. Jesus tasted death. He died on that cross for our sins, was buried, and has risen from the grave on the third day. This is the Jesus. This is the king. And whoever repents from their sins and trusts Christ's finished work on the cross is set apart, chosen by God in Christ Jesus. And he becomes the godly one. Friends, The scripture is urging us to repent from our sins and trust Jesus for salvation, for eternal joy, for eternal life, for eternal satisfaction, for eternal peace that you have been seeking. Just like what David said, Lord, it is you who has set us apart for yourself. It is you who had put more joy in us. It is you who made us dwell in safety. It's all about God, friends, not about us. David is right. It's all about God. It is God who is working in and through us. That is why, friends, in the midst of troubles, we can find true security, peace, joy, rest in God alone. 